What is the sin that does not lead to death that Christians are to pray about? And what is the sin that leads to death that Christians should not pray about? Well, that's the question a viewer wrote in, and I'll do my best to answer this one. On Wisdom 828, where we're dedicated to stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. Hi, I'm Bob Buchanan. Who are you? Who are so wise? This text is a notoriously difficult text from John's first letter. Uh, the mere variety of opinions by commentators tells us at least that much. And so I think the first thing to say about this is as we enter into the subject is we have to do it with caution, not holding too tightly onto any given uh, interpretation that, that we might have, uh, that we can't say with absolute certainty, this is God's revealed truth. Of course, there is a clear truth in the passage, and there are some obscure things as well. But we shouldn't shy away from really hard texts, but continue studying them under the authority of God's Word and the Spirit's help to shine His light on them. Uh, but when we're uncertain, we need to be humble. We need to humble ourselves and thank God for what He has revealed to us. It is not that God is unclear or somehow imperfect in His communication. It's that we lack the wisdom or the skill, or both. Well, let's start with the text itself. John writes, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death, and I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. So we need to understand the surrounding context of this portion of John's letter. Here, he's ending his remarks to the churches. He tells us why he wrote and sent this letter in verse 13. I wrote these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that is Christians, these are his audience, and, and it's defined as those who have trusted Christ as their savior and be given new life and forgiveness so that you may know that you have eternal life. And that's John's whole purpose for writing this letter. It's also the same purpose he has in his own gospel. He tells us as much in John 20, verse 31. Now there's two things we need to keep in mind. First, the larger context of all five chapters frame the final comments that John is making here in verses 13 to 21. And those verses frame the more specific comments of verse 16. Uh, John wants Christians to know the, for certain that they have eternal life, and he gives them ways to test themselves to make sure that they know they have this eternal life. Now, these Christians have been pestered by false teachers presenting a very different knowledge of Christ, leading to a very different lifestyle. So John is correcting that, and to evaluate these false teachers and their practices, John asks some important questions like, are they walking in the light of Jesus? Are they obeying all of Jesus' commands? Are they loving others the way Jesus instructed? Are they steadfastly holding on to the faith and loving the community of believers? Now, these, te these tests of the false teachers also apply to the Christian. Are these things true about you, the reader, John would say? And so uh, we'd have to ask if they're true about us. Are they true about me? Are they true about you? John's conclusion would be straightforward. If these things are true about you, you can be assured that you have eternal life. Now, the second factor to keep in mind is that 
the frame around this passage has to do with intercessory prayer of the church, by the church, and for the church. We'll see how John works that into his instruction, particularly in verse 16. Now, John knows, as we all do, that Christians still sin. Would we agree? Uh, and that's the problem that he's been addressing throughout the letter. In fact, in verse 18, he says this, we know that no one who is born of God sins. Well, I can already hear the eyebrows going up. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, the verb form here for sin in verse 18 helps us to understand uh, the verb and the noun of for sin in verse 16. A better translation of verse 18 would be this. We know that no one who is born of God goes on continuing in sinning. Now, Christians may sin, but because of our new life in Christ, the new spiritual impulse in us because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is to stop the sinning, to repent, and to press on into holiness. The response to sinning is to ask for more grace, to repent and to reject the sin and, and for more grace to continue turning away from that sin and growing in Christ. Now, a Christian realizes that he or she needs the grace of Christ to repent and to radically deal with that sinful activity, that's on the one hand, and to ask for more grace to grow in holiness on the other, which is God's plan for us. John knows what we know from our own experience we Christians are changed at the deepest core of our being, but we are not yet perfect. We are not yet what we want to be, or what we hope to be, or what we know we will be. And so for now, we fight against the sin that so easily trips us up. The one thing a Christian can't ever say is, well, I'm just the way I am, I just can't stop this sinning. John knows that if we see a brother or sister caught in a pattern of sinning, we know they need our help. It's, it's like watching someone who's fallen overboard into the sea uh, and they're drowning. We, we become spiritual first responders. Instead of throwing a life preserver or worse, gossiping about it to other people, uh, we see their struggle uh, to stay afloat and, and we go into action. And our job is to love them by praying earnestly for them. And it may not end there. We may be called on to intervene in a more, much more personal way to help someone. Love obligates us to intercede for our brothers and sisters. Not to pray would be as much as a betrayal of God's love as to withhold material aid from a hungry person. And we know that if we are praying for that person, we are praying for them according to the will of God because Christ is the atoning sacrifice for sins and if anybody confesses his or her sin, God is committed to forgive those sins and to purify them from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9, a very precious promise. A brother or sister sinning needs the prayers of the community of faith, perhaps to confess the sin to another person and receive assurance of forgiveness through a praying community. No doubt the second half of verse 16 is very puzzling. John says this, there is a sin leading to death and I don't say to make a request for this. Many commentators have had many ideas, but I think the simplest way to understand this is to say that there is a sin that puts someone beyond repentance and therefore beyond God's redemption. The idea is that someone who keeps on in willful, continuous, unrepentant sin is eventually given over to that sin by God. 
there is a line that's crossed, at which point God says, I will no longer struggle with you to bring you to repentance. I believe we have an example of this in Esau, the brother of Jacob, who sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge. In Hebrews, the writer says of Esau, for you know that afterward when he was desirous to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Esau was no longer capable of repentance. It's not that he repented over and over again and, and that God just wouldn't forgive him. No, he could not repent. He looked for that, that sweet spot of, of repentance still alive in his heart, but instead, he found nothing, nothing of the sort there. It was missing. He sinned to such a depth that God gave him up to his own ways. So who is that person who sins a sin that leads to death? Is that a Christian? No, I, I don't believe so. John has already said that Christians born of God don't continue in that kind of willful behavior. Christians may sin and even for a short time continue in sin. But eventually, because of the new birth, that sin will lose its luster. The Christian will realize that the promises of that sin were nothing more than a trap, and the painful consequences of that sin are brought to bear on the life and the relationships around the believer. The spirit convicts the heart, leading the believer to seek God in repentance. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Thanks for joining me and Steve Dion behind the camera as we continue our efforts to stamp out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. You'll be of good cheer.